Today's scripture is from the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Please read along with me. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Many of our college students are gone on retreat. Many of our youth group are gone on retreat. Two different retreats, by the way. And we miss them, but we are glad that they are doing what they're doing because, as you probably know, it's in those moments, those times away, those times of retreat, where you really get to focus on who God is and build strong connections with other Christians. That's where growth really happens, and so we're so thankful that, that they're able to take advantage of those opportunities. We do miss them, but we're glad that they are where they are. But I'm glad you're here, and this is an important time for us as the church in our country, certainly important time for this congregation in this community. There are many challenges, but that also means there are many opportunities to be Christ and to share Christ with the world around us. We're in a series, an important series called CORE, talking about some of the fundamental principles that gird everything we do that, that are foundational to who we are. These are core values that come from a vision that God gives us for the church, who we are to be and what we are to do. And so we said that Christ is our focus. We said the Bible is our foundation, that discipleship is our calling, that prayer is our priority, keeping that connection to God through prayer. Not always just asking for things, but connecting to God and listening to God. We said that service is our joy, that we take great joy in serving others and reflecting the example of Christ who served. And then last week we said that love is our lifestyle, that we choose to love, that we choose to love even when it's difficult to love, that we choose to love in a way that the world doesn't always love. We choose to love like Christ loves. And so last week I challenged you to do something during the week to demonstrate or to express the love of Christ. Were you able to do something? Are you just now remembering? It's okay if you are. It's never too late to love. And so just double down this week and go out of your way. Be very intentional about loving, about being kind, about serving, all in the name of Christ and in the pattern, in the model, in the example of Christ. And so today, as we continue, we talk about another one of these foundational principles, another one of these core values. It reflects our God-given mission, why he put us here. And it's not only collectively as a congregation, but individually. And if you're married, maybe in your marriage, or if, you're, if you have children in your family, but this core value, this foundational principle is so important to us as a body and should be important to us as individuals. Many years ago, there was a well-known university that was established in our country. And it was established with this mission to be plainly instructed and consider well 
that the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. And this institution, from its inception, hired only faithful Christian professors. And it worked on and made it its goal to develop and talk about character in its students and on its campus. In fact, it went so far as to say, we are here to train ministers to go into the world to share the good news. And every student that went through those doors, every student that graduated from this university was given a diploma, and on that diploma was emblazoned the motto of this university. And the motto was, truth for Christ and the church. Truth for Christ and the church. Maybe you've heard of this university. It's called Harvard. Boy, how things have changed, haven't they? I think Harvard was founded in the 1600s, maybe, so it's been a long time. But did you know that that was its original mission and that that was its original motto? Now, on their motto, they've taken every word out except one, truth. As though you could have truth apart from Jesus Christ. But I think this is just one example of many examples of something called missional drift. It's exactly what it sounds like. Maybe you've heard this term before in business or in some other uh, arena of life. Missional drift is when an organization, or in this case a university or a company, has its original purpose, its original mission, but for whatever reason, and usually there's multiple reasons, it moves away, usually slowly, usually gradually. It moves away from that mission. It drifts. Just like when you go to the ocean, you set your stuff on the beach, you go out in the water, and then you look back on the beach and your stuff looks like it's gone because the the current or the waves or the undertow has moved you. Well, it hasn't, the stuff on the beach hasn't moved. You are the one that has moved. It's the same idea here with missional drift. We allow things to influence us and we drift from our mission. And so certainly the church is also susceptible to missional drift. And it's not necessarily that the church may become more secular. I mean, that's possible. It's not necessarily that that people in the church think, well, we're more enlightened now, and so let's move away from those old things, although that's possible. But usually what I would say happens with the church if it encounters missional drift is just this slow and incremental move away from mission toward self. You see, mission gets replaced with me. And we move from, this is why we are here, this is what we're about, this is pointed outward, what we are to do in this world, to how does this influence me? What do I want? How can I be served? And the truth is, some of us come to church not to be inspired, not to be challenged, not even to encounter God. We come to church to be comfortable. It's so easy to settle into the role of critic, isn't it? We take our place in the church as a critic, and we begin to analyze and criticize and evaluate everything that happens, certainly on Sundays, but throughout the church. And everything is filtered through the view of what do I want? What do I think? How does it influence me? 
Some of you are familiar with Francis Chan's book, Letters to the Church. Some of our classes, I think, have worked through that, that book on Wednesday nights. But in this book, he has an interesting exercise he does with church leaders, he says. He says, I, I have them sit down and I ask them to make two lists. The first list is a list of all the things that people come to expect from their church. What do people expect from their church? Well, they expect a good worship service. They expect good singing, good preaching. They expect a place to park and a comfortable place to sit, right? Maybe padded pews. They expect climate-controlled buildings. They expect programs for the kids. They expect age-appropriate ministries for families and all generations. There's lots of things that people come to expect from their churches, right? He says, okay, that's the first list. The second list lists all the things that in Scripture God commands of the church. Things such as love one another as I have loved you. Serve one another. Bear the burdens of one another. Confess your sin to one another. Pray for one another. Visit widows and orphans. And on and on. And then he says this. Look at those two lists. And then he says, what would be more upsetting to us? If the church didn't provide those things on the first list, those expectations, or if the church didn't do what God commanded on the second list? That's a good question, isn't it? It's a good question. And how we answer that question, I think, says a lot about how we view the mission of the church. I think it also informs whether or not, or to what extent, we are drifting from our mission. So then, it raises the important question. What is our mission? What is the mission of the church? What does God expect from us? What does God want from us? What is he calling us to do? And, and who are we supposed to be? Especially when we consider the world in which we live, the culture of our day. What is our mission? In John chapter 14, we see Jesus preparing his disciples for his departure. But he tells them, you're not going to be alone. I will still be with you through the Holy Spirit. And so he assures them that he's going to be with them. And then he goes on to say, and because you have the Spirit, you are going to do great things in my name. You're going to do great works in my name. But what are they going to do? Look at John chapter 14, verse 12. Very truly I tell you, Jesus says, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Jesus says, you're going to do greater things than I have done. And we read that and say, wait a second. But do you see what's happening? Greater things because it's not just one spirit-filled man doing the work of God. Now there will be many people spirit-filled doing the work of God in the world. And Jesus says, I'm going to the Father, and if you ask in my name, I'll provide it. You will do greater things. Well, what things are we supposed to be doing? What is he talking about? What well, Jesus says, you do what I've been doing. 
Continue the work I have been doing, he says. Well, Jesus, what have you been doing? Well, hopefully his disciples in that moment have witnessed enough of what Jesus was doing. They could answer that for themselves. But if you don't know what Jesus was doing, if you don't know the work of Jesus, then let's clarify that. And there's many places in Scripture we could go to find an answer, certainly throughout the Gospels. But today I want us to look at Luke chapter 19 just briefly. Luke chapter 19, that famous story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. The man who wanted to see Jesus, but he was too short to see Jesus, so he climbed a sycamore tree. We love to teach our children that story. There's even a little song, I think, that goes with it. For your sake, there will not be any singing at this point in the lesson. Jesus was going through the town of Jericho. This tax collector named Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, but as I said, he was too short. And because he was a tax collector, you know that crowd was not letting him cut to the front of the line. But he was resourceful, and so he had an idea. I'll go on ahead I'll perch myself in that sycamore tree, and when Jesus comes by, I'll be able to see him over the crowd. And sure enough, that's what happens. By the way, there is a very, very old sycamore tree in modern-day Jericho, and they've dubbed it Zacchaeus' tree. Now, whether it is the tree or not, who knows? But trust me, if there's an opportunity for a tourist attraction in the Holy Lands, they will be taking advantage of it. I don't think they let you climb the tree, though. I don't think you can do that. But Zacchaeus climbed the tree, and Jesus sees him. And in chapter 19 of Luke, verse 5, we see Jesus' interaction with this tax collector. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Verse 7, all the people saw this, and they began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Isn't it interesting how people label other people? We do that today, but it's nothing new, even back then. What did they call Zacchaeus? They didn't call him Zacchaeus. They didn't call him a tax collector. They called him a sinner. Jesus has gone to be the guest of a sinner. And the text says they begin to mutter. They begin to mutter. Why? Because Jesus isn't fulfilling their expectation of what he is there to do. Jesus, whatever mission you have, you are not sticking true. You are not staying true. You are drifting from your mission, Jesus, because certainly you would not be associating with sinners like that man. You are the Messiah. That's who you want us to believe you are. But the Messiah wouldn't do that. Jesus, what are you doing? Keep reading. Verse 8, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. Let me stop there for a second. Do you know what Jesus is saying? This man is a son of Abraham. When everyone around him said, he is not one of us, he is not of Israel, he is not a Jew, he is sold out to the Romans, he is taking our money and giving it to Rome, Jesus says, wait a second, I say he's one of us. He's a son of Abraham. And then verse 10, so important. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. There it is. 
There's the mission of Jesus. There's Jesus' purpose right there. Why would this Jewish rabbi, this miracle worker, this Messiah, this Son of God, this holy man, cross the threshold to fellowship this sinful tax collector? Why would he do it? That's the question everyone was asking. Because Zacchaeus was lost. Because he was in need. Because no one else had a plan nor the desire to do anything about it. And Jesus said, this is the very reason I am here. To seek and to save the lost. You see, seeking and saving the lost was a mission of Jesus. And therefore should be and is the mission of his church. That is our mission. And that is why some of the very last words Jesus spoke to his followers was a commission. They were words of calling, of sending. Before he ascends up to heaven himself, he says, you are also going to be on the move. And you're not ready to go up, you're going to go out. Matthew chapter 28, a passage that we talk about a lot around here and well we should so let's go back up on that mountain and hear some of Jesus's final words to his followers Matthew 28 verse 16 then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go when they saw him they worshiped him but some doubted then Jesus came to them and he said all authority on heaven and earth that's an important part of this commission I've been authorized by God. This isn't a suggestion. This isn't just something you might consider. He says, I'm speaking this by the authority of God himself. Therefore, verse 19, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Matthew wants us to know that these words are incredibly important. He says, Jesus was on a mountain. Just one small way to remind his listeners that, oh, this is important. Because throughout Matthew's gospel, important things happen on the mountain. Jesus in chapter 4 was tempted by Satan on a mountain. Chapters 5, 6, and 7, Jesus delivers that revolutionary sermon. We call it what? The Sermon on the Mount. Later, Jesus is transfigured before them with Moses and Elijah. Peter, James, and John are there. It's on a mountain. And now we go to the mountain and we hear some of Jesus' final words, final words matter. And what does Jesus say? He says, by the authority of heaven and earth, I commission you, I call you to go. Go and make disciples. And the idea is that we don't just sit around and wait. That we don't just passively consider why we are here. That if someone happens to come through the doors, then maybe, maybe, just maybe, we'll do something. Jesus says, you go. You see, that's what seeking means. To seek and save the lost means you are looking, you are searching, you are going. The shepherd went out to look for the lost sheep. The woman looked everywhere in the house for the lost coin. The father went out searching over the horizon for his wayward son to come home. And so in Mark's 
version of the Great Commission, we see this idea of going. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. In John's gospel, in John 17, we see this beautiful prayer of Jesus in the garden before he goes to the cross. And one of the things he says to God about his disciples is, Father, just as you have sent me, I am sending you, John chapter 17. And then later in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, what does Jesus tell his followers? He says, it's time for you to go. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will bear witness to what you have seen, what you have heard, Jesus says. Don't you hear the mission? Don't you hear the mission of the church in Jesus' words? Making disciples is our mission. It's why we are here. It's going out into the world. It's being intentional. It's seeking and searching and sharing the good news. We are here to carry on the work of Jesus, who said of his own purpose and mission, I have come to seek and save the lost. Our job is not to be comfortable. Our job is to be a co-worker with Christ. Our mission is not to stay and look inward. It is to go and reach outward. We are not called by God to seek and serve ourselves. We are called by God to seek and save the lost. To go out and to bring people closer to Christ and Christ-likeness. We try to do that here by the power of of God, by the Holy Spirit working in us. That's what we are trying to do here. And there's many ways to do that. There's many ways to make disciples. We have decided that we're going to break that down into three main ways. Go, connect, and embrace. Go has to do with literally going into the world. We send out hundreds of people every year on mission trips. If you've ever been on a mission trip, you know there's great power in those trips. But we also support something like 17 missionaries, I think, throughout the world who are in the trenches, on the front lines, sharing the gospel, embodying the gospel, ministering to people. Connect is what we talk about when we talk about not just local outreach, not just things we do in our community, but each one of us as we go through our daily lives living out that missional lifestyle of speaking out for Christ, of sharing our faith, of meeting people's needs, of loving like Jesus, making connections with people, and ultimately trying to connect them to Christ. And then embrace has to do with, with how we treat people when they come here, because people do come here. In fact, we plan things so people will come to our campus. So how do we treat them? How do we approach them? What do we say to them? All of those things are so important. By the way, come back tonight. We're going to talk more about connect. Specifically, we're going to talk about three ways we do that. Three things that we're trying to, to get some traction on, get some momentum in, and that is our Discovery Bible study, our mentoring ministry, and our shared experience groups. We're going to talk about those tonight in a very practical way. And hopefully, if you've kind of heard of those, you're not quite sure what they are, tonight you should get more information and hopefully a better understanding. But as we consider what it means to go, I'm thinking of next Sunday when we celebrate what God is doing through us to take the gospel to the world. 
We call it Commission Sunday. Obviously, you know where the name comes from, the Great Commission. We started Commission Sundays, I believe, seven years ago. It's, it's hard to believe it's been seven years. Time really flies. We made a, a very deliberate shift in what we were going to emphasize. We've had special Sundays before. We've even had special contributions before. But many of those, and most of those, were to pay off debt, which is really important. Being good stewards of God's blessings, really important. Or maybe to, to add on or to build facilities, again, extremely important. But we said we need to shift our focus. We need to shift our focus to sharing the gospel. Yes, those other things enable us to do that, but let's talk more about what God is doing and wants to do through us to take the gospel to the world. And so we started this about seven years ago, sort of shifting our focus, really drawing attention to mission trips and missionaries, even encouraging, inviting, facilitating many of our members to go on mission trips by making it affordable. And God has done amazing things. But if you just take the past five years, just the past five years, a good round number, right? Five years. It is amazing what God has done over the past five years. So we made this short little video just to show you, highlight some of the things that God is doing and has done over the past five years because of Commission Sundays. Watch this video. He came to live, live a perfect life. He came to be the living word our life. He came to die, so we'd be reconciled. He came to rise, to show His power and might. That's why we praise Him, that's why we sing, that's why we offer Him our everything. That's why we bow down and worship this King, cause He gave His everything. Cause he gave his everything He came to live, live again in us He came to be our conquering king and friend He came to heal and show the lost ones his love He came to go, prepare a place for us That's why we praise him that's why we sing, that's why we offer Him our everything. That's why we bow down and worship this King, cause He gave His everything. Cause He gave His everything. That's why we praise Him, that's why we sing. That's why we offer Him our everything. That's why we bow down and worship this King. Cause He gave His everything. Bye. 
worship this king Cause he gave his everything Cause he gave his everything May God receive all the glory and praise for what he has done through us over the past five years it's just amazing to see it all sort of put together, isn't it? And behind every one of those numbers is a life, a person, a soul. It's not just quantitative information. God is using this church to truly transform communities and people's lives and to save souls. Let me just share one quick story from, from the mission field. We have supported the Namwayanga uh, mission effort in Zambia for many years. We had a long-standing relationship with them. We now support three different men who have various roles there in the college and, and in the church and, and some other um, evangelistic uh, projects they do. And of course, we have, we've had a long-standing relationship with Jana Miller, a young lady who works extremely hard in the orphanage there. Well, for many years, Namwayanga has, has produced and host, hosted uh, lectureships, they call them. And now, this past summer, it's grown, and they had four different sites, four different locations of lectureships. And in these four lectureships, they had over 3,000 people attend these things, and 65 baptisms because of these lectureships. God is doing amazing things in Zambia and across the globe. But i got to tell you, things in Zambia are pretty tough right now. In southern Zambia, they have experienced one of the worst droughts in recent history. The rainy season didn't happen, and so people are literally starving there. They are without food. But Namwayanga and its leaders and the people there, along with the supporting churches like us and other individuals, said, we can do something. This is an opportunity. And so they are giving these huge bags of maize, this food, this grain, to people in need. But they're not just waiting for people to come to them and then hand them a bag, pat them on the back and say, go on your way. They are going into communities. They know the need is great. So they are loading these flatbed trucks full of bags of maize going into these communities. And even once they're there, and I love this, they're not just handing them out, they're assembling everyone together. You know what they're doing? They're having a worship service. You know why they're doing that? Not just because it's a church event, so we should probably do church. No. They want the people receiving these things, receiving this food, to make the connection that this is in the name of Jesus, that God is to be praised for these bags of food. And that's how people are receiving it. They're receiving these wonderful gifts that are literally sustaining their lives. And they are praising God for it. You see, that's the power of the gospel. And that's the mission that God has put in front of us. Obviously, the need is great there. We need to continue to support them and help them in every way we can. There's a lot of need all over the world. It just reminds us that we must always stay true to our mission. We can't drift. We can't start looking inward. And when we do, may we have our eyes open and confess that and turn from that and begin to look outward because there are people dying every day who don't know Jesus. Why would we want to spend time talking about what we like and what we prefer and this shouldn't be this way? There are people dying without Jesus. There are people starving 
and we can do something. Dave Stone wrote a little personal evangelism book, and in this book he tells an interesting story about a problem with the buses in London several years ago. You see, the buses were all running, but they weren't all stopping to pick up passengers. The people were there at the right place at the right time, but the buses would just keep cruising on by. And so obviously people were saying, what's going on? So the the London Transit Authority had to issue a statement, a statement that is now very infamous in public relations circles. This is what they said. It is impossible for us... I can't even read that. My eyes are so bad. (laughs) It said, it is impossible for us to maintain our schedules if we're always having to stop and pick up passengers. You think, well, that can't be real, right? It is. I mean, this is notorious in public relations circles, textbooks. They talk about this. How can we keep our schedules if we have to stop and pick up those people? Well, wait a second. Isn't that what the bus was made for? Isn't that why the bus was put there? Yeah, but we got a schedule to keep. (laughs) we got to be on time. Boy, I hope that never happens to us. May we never be so worried about being on time that we fail to be ambassadors of Christ. May we never be so wrapped up in our own comfort, in our own desires, that we miss seeing people who are lost and dying. May we never get confused and think our mission is to seek and to serve ourselves rather than to seek and to save the lost. May we never lose our way. May we never forget why we're here, to make disciples. Are you a disciple of Christ? You see, discipleship is about moving closer to Christ and Christ-likeness. It's always this journey, always moving, this dynamic progression of faith toward Jesus. Where are you? If you don't know Jesus, if you haven't claimed him as Lord of your life, if you haven't been baptized into Christ, today is the day. Don't wait. Confess your faith that Jesus is the Son of God and that you want to make him Lord of your life. He died to forgive you, to take away your sins. Make that choice today. Or if we can encourage you in some way, if you have drifted from your mission, if you've drifted from your priorities, if you've taken incremental steps away from Jesus, come home. If we can encourage you, pray for you, support you, we'd we'd be happy to do that. We're going to stand and sing a song. We'll have a couple of our shepherds and their wives in the parlor, a room right behind me. You can go out any of these doors, make your way there. They would be happy to receive you, to support you, to pray over you. Or you can come down to the front as we stand together and sing.